And that's where we think we can make a really big difference in the industry is if you can take humans out of the risk management, you can do things and offer things to users that, that no one else can. And that's sort of our end goal. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 99 of the Betting Startups podcast with Gianni and Greg from Hot Streak, which is AI-powered sports gaming technology. In this one, the guys talk about their journey building a fully automated pricing engine for in-play DFS, why they're committed to the direct-to-consumer model despite some obvious B2B opportunity, and their thoughts on how risk management could have been a contributing factor to some recent struggles by other DFS operators. Gianni and Greg were awesome guests, and I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. The Betting Startups podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five US operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listen to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card. All right, we are back on the Betting Startups podcast, episode 99. And uh, shout out to the great one, Wayne. Feels very poetic. I have a Canadian as one of my two guests here today. Got Greg and Gianni from Hot Streak and really appreciate you guys joining the pod today. Uh, just to check in at the starting line, how you guys keeping? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. 100%. I feel like this one's been a long time coming, Gianni. We've been, we've been talking for a couple of years now and going back and forth. Uh, I checked my notes. I think originally we were looking at like episode 30-something to have you on. So yeah, some time has passed, but uh, we're here now. Really excited to jump into everything today. There's quite a bit of stuff uh, I want to get into, so we'll do our best to get through it all. Just as we do with every episode out of the starting gate here, let's quickly get to know you guys. If you could each spend a minute up front here, giving the audience a bit of a sense of who you are, your background, some of the major stops along the way before you got together on Hot Streak. Yeah, sure. I'll take a swing first. So I'm Greg Dean, the CEO of Hot Streak. My background's in technology, in particular startups. So when I graduated from college, packed up all my stuff and moved to Silicon Valley and spent the most of my career in Silicon Valley working at early stage startups. So, so basically from idea to growth beyond and Met a lot of great people, been involved in a lot of great startups, had one meaningful exit and sort of linked up with Gianni to work on some Web3 stuff back in the day, kind of OG Web3 stuff. I don't want to steal Gianni's thunder, but he, he might be one of the most accomplished sports NFTs, or at least the first one out there, I would say. And we were, we were looking at that space pretty heavily, started working together. PASPA was repealed kind of around the same time. And, you know, we started looking at micro markets and at the beginning, it was kind of a, a hybrid NFT micro market idea. And we moved on from there and happy to dig in into what exactly we're doing now, but I'll let, I'll kick it over to Gianni. Cool. Yeah. Jesse, you touched on it. Also Canadian, similarly to you from Montreal, studied computer science at McGill. And then shortly after that, moved to New York to work for a startup called Draft. So if you guys know the underdog guys, Jeremy Levine and that crew. Um, I was the first engineer there. So we built draft, you know, from basically nothing to the acquisition by Patty Power Betfair. That was in 2017. Ended up, you know, after that, kind of trying to figure out my next move, started working on some crypto NFT stuff. And that was Crypto Strikers, which is the first sports card NFT project on Ethereum. So basically buying, selling, trading, you know, digital sports cards for the 2018 World Cup. So the Messi, the Ronaldos, all that. Had some early success. And that's around the time where I linked up with Greg basically with that idea to kind of 
scale up that NFT project, um, ended up going in a different direction with, you know, what is now hot streak. And I think that's probably like a good spot to pick, pick up the conversation from there. Right on. Let's just stick quickly, I guess, with the origin story here. Like, as you said, you were, you know, deep in NFT, deep in web three. We'll come back to that in a few minutes here, but just, I guess, like the origins of hot streak, like it sounds like you had a pivot in there or, or some sort of change in direction. Like just talk a little bit about what was going on at that time and contextualize kind of, you know, so much has happened in the last five years since past has been repealed. Like what was going on at that time that prompted you to kind of see this as the opportunity you guys would actually pursue together? So I think from my perspective, at, at, at that point, we were looking at, there was a big initiative to try to find and create games on top of NFTs. So basically using NFTs as kind of a vehicle that's the kind of underlying unit of economic of a game. And we had a lot of different ideas at the time. Micro markets was probably our, the one we were most excited in. So it actually started as a feature to be sort of leverage NFTs and kind of be able to trade NFTs and maybe in micro market format. And that was early 2019. We're probably one of the first people to be doing NFTs and, and one of the first companies to be, you know, pursuing micro markets. I think Web3 in general has been a little bit of a roller coaster for a lot of different reasons. And so. When you're an early stage startup and you're trying to find product market fit, which is something that Gianni and I sort of obsess over, you know, any major hindrance, whether it be regulatory or UX of, of Web3 at the time was really, really bad, even though it's still not great today. And, and so we kind of looked at it and we're like, I think like micro markets might be the actual thing and the NFTs are kind of getting in the way. So we basically, the pivot there was we took the technology that we built to offer micro markets, really doubled down on that. And as I was explaining, kind of, you know, before we got on, like our original goal was sort of, hey, let's take this as a B2B play. This was even before SimpleBet was doing anything. I think they're kind of the, the hallmark B2B provider of micro markets right now. And so we can get into how we changed to become a, a more of a consumer play. But that was the kind of transition from early days through the, you know, PASPA being repealed and kind of egressing out of NFTs in a meaningful way. Let's use that as a springboard then to start our deep dive in, into Hot Streak. Um, so just for the benefit of the audience that may not be familiar with it, can we just start with sort of a high concept overview? What is Hot Streak? What's the value prop? And, and kind of what do you guys have in market right now? Yeah, sure. So Hot Streak is a, it's a real money DFS platform in the Pick'em category. So a la prize picks, underdog. We initially started with only the micro market. So basically being live during the games, picking for the next three minutes of an NBA match was the first kind of feature we launched. So you're picking, you know, will LeBron James have over under one and a half points in the next three minutes? We settled on three minutes as this kind of good little bite-sized slice of a quarter. And we quickly realized that like just having only the live in-game picks was like not sufficient because people want to come into the app at like noon on a Tuesday and there's like not much to do. So we've since like rounded out our product offering to have all the pre-game projections that other sites have. So we have parity there, but really like I think our, our main differentiator is the in-play. And where we're like spending the most of our R&D and engineering efforts is like really building the best in-play product in the DFS space. So that's the super high level. Happy to kind of double click on any part of that. Just maybe to expand upon what you talked about with the tech stack, right? I mean, I, I want to understand a little bit about like the R&D journey because it's an incredibly complex domain you guys are building in. You know, you need the data feeds as the input. There's all sorts of latency issues, obviously all of the modeling aspect to it to generate the pricing that you guys are putting out into the product. Can you talk a little bit about from that R&D perspective, what the journey has been like to kind of get to the point you guys are at now? Yeah, I think one part of the, of the journey that's interesting that we started off with is we started like free to play in like, as Greg mentioned, early 2019, as we were doing this pivot, 
we had a version of hot streak with those three minute increments, but all free to play. And you're kind of competing for like gems on this leaderboard. You know, there was like very low stakes as the provider. We ran a demo day or basically like we sponsored the New Orleans Pelicans in arena, ran like a massive in arena campaign. Like that was the, the first like live launch of hot streak. And we had very basic modeling at that point. But once we started offering this game mode for real money, obviously the stakes got a lot higher and, you know, we slowly kind of iterated on those models. And I think Greg has some good insight on like, you know, what it took from going from the free to play to the, to the real money. So I'll just hand it off to Greg here. Yeah. I I think that that's just a big distinction there that we learned and it's kind of obvious, but you don't realize how big it is at the time. It's like, well, it's probably a proxy for real money. You know, maybe it's a little bit more at stake with real money than there is free to play. But once you, once you start offering micro markets for real money, you really learn very quickly where your things that you mentioned, right? Like your mispricing latency and, and, and how you have to handle all that. And so like, I always say that like, if you're doing any odds origination and it's free to play, it's not really, it doesn't really count in our book and it's great. There's a lot of opportunity out there for media and whatnot, but it's really kind of a subscale problem. And so we've scaled to where we are now. We, we realized odds are part, are just a small part of it. And, and actually risk management becomes, when you're talking about the time scales that we're talking about, risk management becomes kind of the dominant problem for you very quickly. We try to allow as much as we can, kind of unlimited, unrestricted composability. So SGP, micro market SGPs, and we, we were looking into like same player parlays and like trying to price this all in real time is it's a fairly tricky problem. The odds of an individual event occurring or individual market is like becomes small in comparison to actually managing the risk of the overall, your overall book. And so it's kind of evolved from like this free to play odds to real money odds to a really, really sophisticated risk management. And that's where we think we can make a really big difference in the industry is if you can take humans out of the risk management, you can do things and offer things to users that, that no one else can. And that's sort of our end goal. And speaking of your users, um, just to quickly talk about that, I'm curious to understand kind of what your user base looks like. And the reason I ask this is because I think inherently micro markets really tend to appeal to what I'll call a more recreational sort of segment of user. However, given kind of what you guys are up to with the origination and, and, and whatnot, I also assume you're probably inviting in some, some sharks into the pool and managing that risk to your point, Greg. So talk a little bit about, I guess, just like the composition of maybe like the segments of people that are using hot streak and I guess sort of t- start to touch upon like positioning and, and how it's maybe differentiated from some of the other offerings that are out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we have a pretty healthy blend. I think there's a certain amount of sophistication to hot streak that probably isn't super, super retail for a novice better. Like we have odds for a pick them against the house platform. We have odds and you know, there's some other platforms that have similar models, but I think we were one of the first people to do that. And like that actually skews you towards a sharper user base. You know, it's one thing just to have like a, a two-way pays a static amount. You don't really have to think about what you're doing as much. And so there's just that component of, of what we are. You have to have odds to do, you know, three points in three minutes, you know, is the, you can't offer that even money. So, you know, we kind of had to do that. And so I think we skew a little bit sharper and we try to be as flexible as we can in terms of real sharp money. At the end of the day, like we're just trying to learn and build technology. So the sharp money is actually pretty useful for us. We never really want to like have somebody go away because it teaches us things that almost always we are next level or next step from our technology is kind of a, a derivative of lessons we've learned from real sharp users. And so we kind of have a unique take on 
there's a balance of letting somebody just kind of take money from you because they're super sharp and also you want to learn. I think it's been a mix, but I'd say I definitely would say we skew pretty sharp relative to some of your traditional pick them against the house products. There is that growing cohort though, like specifically to InPlay, which I found very interesting in the last few weeks, we've seen it manifest more and more, is like large groups of people gathering on Twitter spaces and playing our live in-game, you know, NBA all at the same time. And like, there's one guy talking and saying, all right, like the Kings are about to substitute these guys. Like this guy's going in, he's like hungry. We're going to take these three players over on their points. And like, you see it, you know, we have like our, our dashboards where we see like everyone just hammer the same players because they're all in the same uh, Twitter space together. And it's not like the sharpest, most research stuff, but it's like a very community driven gameplay mode. And I think trying to figure out how to maximize that, I think it's super interesting. Um, but there is that cohort, which we've seen more and more is like just the social community playing in game product together, which I find super, super interesting. That's a great point, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's cool too, because like, these are big groups. It's like 500 to a thousand people all playing at the same time. Like, okay, what are limits? Right. Like what are the, what are the limits of that group? <laughs> and it strikes me that with all of like the investment and effort you guys are putting into standing this up and powering this platform, you're in market as a B2C product strikes me that there's a B2B opportunity here. doesn't sound like maybe that's a priority, but you can correct me if I'm wrong there. So just talk about sort of how you're thinking about commercializing all of this IP and like what opportunities are interesting to you beyond kind of what's currently in market right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely something we think about and we talk about pretty often, actually. We have people coming to us on a fairly regular basis throughout the industry and want to know about offering our stuff B2B. And, you know, I think that commercially, we think the best thing for us right now is we learn the most direct to consumer because we just control with the vertically integrated stack. We control the most. It's really hard to build this towards the vision we want when like, you know, we have to, at the end of everything, integrate into, I'm not going to throw anybody on their bus, but integrate to a legacy stack. And legacy, five years is legacy to us, right? Like, so a lot of this stuff is a lot, lot harder than presents some challenges. I just think commercially and, and kind of like from a technology perspective, we're not really, you know, we're really learning a lot and growing a lot and don't really feel that offering our stuff B2B is like in our best interest right now. That may change as the industry, maybe the industry wants to consolidate, or maybe there's a, a better technology avenue into an operator that we, we haven't found yet. But most of the time, I suppose a startup would be the easiest route for us, but like we're already a startup. So like going to a startup and selling us up to a startup doesn't, that doesn't really feel like a great leverage move for us, but it is something we think about and talk about. We, like I said, when we, when we started this, it was under the vision of B2B. And so it just happens to be that like direct to consumer is a really successful avenue to build this technology right now. And as long as that's the case, we'll probably stay direct. Awesome. And I need you guys to clear up a point of confusion. I clearly have right now. So we've been talking about hot streak as a brand, but also more recently, you guys have introduced another brand in play AI, which by the way, sweet domain in play.ai. I'm a domain nerd. So I, I, you know, props for getting that one. Just help me distinguish between the two brands and, and kind of what that means in practical terms. Yeah, sure. So hot streaks, the, the, the consumer product, right? So I think that's pretty maybe well understood at, at this point, at least for us. And then InPlay Innovation is basically the corporate entity. And like, so we were like emailing InPlayInnovation.com and it's a little, it's kind of a mouthful. And we were doing AI back before 
there wasn't really this frenzy of AI like there was. And so it wasn't really obvious to just call it AI, but inplay.ai, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you appreciate it because we're pretty excited to get it. It's definitely easier to talk about. So one's just a corporate structure. One's the kind of corporate brand, and then there's a consumer brand. So. Got it. All clear now. No more questions on that. Let's talk quickly as well about just the funding journey and capitalizing all of this insane IP you guys have developed. Again, just for the benefit of the listeners that might not have the context, can you just fill us in on the funding backgrounder and sort of how you've capitalized the journey to date? This is one thing I think we've been extraordinarily fortunate to have, in my experience, some of the best capital partners I've ever worked with. That goes from venture partners to, to seed stage to angel. We just really have great group. Shout out to Sonny Madra and the group of angels that he brought in to do our seed round. And that was a pretty small seed round. We raised about a million dollars in that round. This was 21. We had some support from on the angel side from people we knew and some other great, great venture firms. Shasta Ventures was involved early on. Then our A, we raised... 20, spring of 22, Q1, Q2, 22, and, and Polychain Capital. They're traditionally a Web3 company, but like I said, they've been, or venture fund, but they've been fantastic capital partners as we've sort of navigated, like I said before, like the roller coaster of Web3 and how what it means for, you know, we're a real business, right? So it's like, that's one of the things that got them really excited about it is that, you know, we weren't just starting with a crypto vapor that we wanted to kind of push out on people. We still think there's an opportunity there the regulatory landscape right now is just not viable to do anything on Web3 for, for sports betting. I mean, I'm happy to talk about that, but it's kind of a hurry up and wait thing for us right now. Interesting. Just to stick with that for a second, um, I mean, let's talk about Web3 and, and maybe Gianni's OG status in the NFT space. I guess, you know, just to expand on kind of what you were just commenting on, Greg, obviously right now it's out of favor, I guess, when compared to a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, you couldn't turn a corner without somebody talking about NFTs. I mean, around the corner from where I live here and remote island of Canada, somebody had a big board ape spray painted on the side of their cube van. Like, so it was like deep into sort of like the, the popular consciousness, but now, you know, it's a bear market. Nobody's really talking about it. Investments dried up. Most of the projects have died. What's your vibe right now, just on the space and maybe while it's not right now on the roadmap as something for hot streak in the product, I, I got to assume you guys are still looking very closely at it. Like what's your just overall vibe right now? as you know, people that have been there and maybe seen sort of the ups and downs and the swings inherent within the space. Yeah, I, I can take that one. Still remain long-term like bullish. I think there's a lot of the value prop of Web3 is super interesting, open, transparent blockchains where you see, like let's use like sports, sports betting and sports gaming as an example, like where you see if an operator is acting honestly in an open ledger that everyone has access to. Like I think there's actual real value prop there. It's just the one in the U.S., the regulatory landscape, super unfriendly to founders, like starting a company and like operating in that space is just going to be really, really tough. I know founders like moving and leaving the U.S. entirely and going to like more friendly jurisdictions, Singapore, et cetera, Dubai. Like I personally don't want to move to Dubai. I'm getting kind of happy in, in Los Angeles. But yeah, just from like an industry standpoint, I do think there is a lot of stuff that's, that makes a ton of sense. I just don't think the U.X. is there, the onboarding, you know, getting funds from your actual bank account or credit card into, you know, on-chain funds is actually like a pretty cumbersome process. As you know, the, the kind of sports gaming landscape grows in the US, you're, you're getting a lot of, you know, casual people and, and making them jump through all those hoops, I think is not the best onboarding experience. So uh, until that friction's gone, it's, it's going to be like a zero, you know, no one's going to be doing their betting or their fantasy on-chain, but you know, I think there's a lot of work being done at the infrastructure level 
to make that UX better. And I've been saying that since 2018 when I was doing Crypto Strikers. I'm like, oh, like once the UX is good, this will be killer. So it's taking a bit longer than expected, but I do remain long-term bullish on it. Interesting. So no current plans on the roadmap to reintroduce Web3 aspects to the Hot Streak product uh, as a sort of on hold for the minute or? Not domestically. I'll leave it at that. A little teaser out there, but just to echo what Gianni and I said, we still feel very bullish on, on, I actually think of the industries that could benefit the most from Web3, like there may just be one and it might be sports betting in general, like outside of like speculation and kind of entertainment. Like I think there's just a lot of intrinsic things that Web3 solves, like custody of funds, especially adversarial custody of funds. And so like, I think there's a lot to be done there in the US. It's tough, right? 100%. Let's leave Web3 there, but let's come back to maybe a more contemporary topic within the betting industry right now. Obviously, I don't need to tell you guys about all the headwinds that DFS is facing right now. And in recent weeks, there's been more reasons for people to pile on and take a good critical look at some of the DFS operators in this space. Actually, one of your team members, I believe, has been quite vocal on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, calling out potentially bad actors in the space. I guess I just want to get a sense from you guys as operators in this space that you're not affiliated with these companies, but obviously you share a category and, you know, bad actors reflect poorly on everybody within a category. How are you guys just sort of thinking about all this right now? And sort of what's your mental model for, I guess, the headwinds that the, the sector is facing? I think it's first probably useful to just clarify. I think that teammates' comments on Twitter are their personal views and they don't represent the company. And, you know, I think people may have felt a certain sense of obligation because of kind of inbound concern that was sent to them and, and thought that it was the right thing to do to shine a light on things. And whether or not that was is kind of, we don't know. It's not, you know, I won't single out any particular company and, and even ones that have been singled out by others. We don't know the specifics about, you know, how they're operating. And I don't want to hazard a guess on exactly what's going on. I know that when things bad happen, it's bad for the industry. That's not unique. I mean, it's not unique to DFS. It just happens to be that DFS kind of has another regulatory predator in the space. I think that these types of things, whether they're true or not, are bad. Even if they're hearsay, they're just bad. It's just a bad look for the industry. For us as a company, I mean, we can only control what, what we do. Gianni and I talk a lot about how, you know, I mentioned risk management before is something we take very seriously. We don't compete on taking risk that we don't think we can back. So, you know, we don't offer several hundred X parlays that aren't priced correctly as a growth strategy. It just probably will never do that. It's just not part of our vision. Um, and I think that just mathematically, you have to be able to absorb that long tail black swan event. And then like, that's a, sort of a binary function, you know, it's all great until it's not. And then stuff does happen. But I'd say that that risk isn't unique to DFS. It's ha sports books happens to small sports books too, all the time. And in general, it's not good for the industry. We've actually tried to help. A few people have reached out asking about pricing and in, in particular correlation. Correlation is something that gets people a lot. Golf almost ruined a bunch of people. And, you know, I've personally reached out and trying to help and offer advice on how to price things. Feel free to copy what you want from us. You know, it's, it's all public data anyway. So in terms of other specific players in the space, I, I don't really have much to say about individual companies. Yeah, that's fair. What about just for you guys as an organization, like, are you content to sort of keeping your heads down, focusing on, like you say, Greg, like what you guys can control and just sort of tuning out the noise? Are you trying to be there as more vocal advocates for DFS, like some of the other DFS operators are doing? Like, what's your just sort of like position, I guess, as it relates to all of that? 
Yeah, I think philosophically, I, we share the vision with some of the bigger players who probably, we are an interesting point because our actual core IP is technology and AI. So like that technology and AI doesn't really care what regulatory framework it's taken to market in. That said, like we have a great success direct to consumer. We want to keep having, you know, continuing to have great success. So we do share the the philosophical views that some of the larger players in the industry have. And I think that the perspective that player props are, are fantasy phenomena in the U.S. is probably accurate. We're not big enough to actually influence and lobby and things like that yet. But, you know, I think we certainly have opinions that are in line with, with, with the industry. I guess as we look ahead to the rest of the year, which most of it's still ahead of us here, what's on the roadmap for you guys and the team and, you know, major milestones, what are you focused on? And, and maybe when we get to the end of the year, you know, what would constitute a successful year for you and the team? Yeah, I have some things. And then Gianni, well, I'll give you a chance because I'm sure you've got your own view or variant of our unified view. But I think that for us, it's, you know, we're growing really fast. We're growing 40% month over month. We're up 5x from last year and we want to continue to do that i'd like to 10x in the next year next certainly in the next 18 months and you know our growth is mostly organic but we're starting to run some experimental marketing stuff augmenting the team with staff that can handle marketing spends and stuff like that and i'm excited about growth in terms of the, the tech and product like that's where johnny and i both kind of like live and breathe and i think we just want to do more in play more of everything in play you can imagine. So I, I would keep an eye out and, you know, Gianni, you want to share? Yes. Yeah, so like from a product standpoint, I think, you know, right now for in-play basketball, we have uh, the next three minutes of gameplay. We picked that time window when we first launched in 2021, but I think there's a lot more we can do as far as different time horizons, quarter length, half length, full game. LeBron is currently at 10 and a half point, or he's currently at 10 points. Is he going to go over 27 and a half from this point on to the rest of the game? Just I think offering more varied menu uh, of time durations and stat categories for basketball is probably like a big focus of ours, given that I think our, our basketball product is the best one we have out of all three sports. So, you know, doubling down on that, especially as we gear up to lose football here in the next two or three weeks with the Super Bowl uh, coming up, I think adding more sports to our pregame offering, MMA, tennis, uh, we briefly had soccer, we kind of canned that for a bit, but bringing that back, I think like the two main focuses from a product standpoint is like feature parity with everyone else on the pregame and then like really, really pushing the envelope on, on in-play. So I think that we're like getting pretty close to feature parity on the pregame stuff, but I think there's like so much we can do in play to really, really, you know, live up to our namesake and, and kind of be the industry leaders there. So um, I think doubling and tripling down on our basketball, football, baseball products in-game. So growth, growth, growth to summarize the plans for 2024. Exactly. Awesome. Guys, that takes us to my standard closing question. I'm not sure if you've heard it. I'll quickly wrap it off to you. If you weren't working on Hot Streak, if you weren't doing anything within betting or micro markets or even anything in technology or anything in a previous career in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? I listened to a couple pods before we jumped on here. So I did hear this one coming. I didn't, didn't quite catch the not in technology, not in, you've never done it. That's actually a, a force multiplier to this question that makes it really, really interesting. I don't know, probably something, probably like the not technology, I just kind of go into something very down to earth, like raising cattle or something like that, you know, like I feel like that would just be low stress. Probably not, but farm or something like that. I don't know. It reminds me of uh, our, our CTO at Draft, Niccolo, who I think, Greg, you, you spoke to once a long time ago. 
after Draft exited to Paddy Power Bedfair, he like now works like in clean energy. I think he said like, I, I don't want to be any, like no proximity to sports gaming anymore. Like, you know, I think sport radar breaking on weekends, like just ruined so many of his weekends and data quality issues. He was like, screw this. I'm going to work in clean energy. So uh, I've always thought of that as like a funny anecdote. If money was no object, I think I would try to dedicate myself to a sport. I think I would try to pick a sport that I can maybe have a chance of competing in at, at this stage of my life. I'm 33. I would try to like, you know, hire chefs and trainers and just try to make it as an athlete. I think that would be like my dream if it didn't actually have to work um, and didn't have to do anything. I, I would just try to find a niche sport and, and try to take that. I like that challenge of starting from zero and, and kind of seeing how far I can take it. I want to change my answer. All right. What is it, Greg? It's woodworking. That would, that would be it. Yeah. I want to be able to build something, but then like not have the, as Gianni said, the, uh, kind of things breaking in the middle of the night, keeping you up. That would be a pretty, pretty sweet combo. Yeah. I, th I think there's something to be said for getting out of the world of ones and zeros, right. And then getting back to playing in the dirt or something like that. Uh, for people listening that want to either get in touch with you and, or check out the product quickly plug how they can go do that. Sure. I mean, you can go to uh, hotstreak.gg or if you want to check out uh, inplay.ai, you can go there and it links to hotstreak.gg as well. We're in the App Store. You can just search for hotstreak in the App Store, of course. And if you want to touch base with me, you can read most of my emails. So greg at inplay.ai. Not inplayinnovation.com. Well, I mean, technically that will work still, <laughs> but it depends on when you're listening to this because my hopes are that to, that to completely turn that off. But. <laughs> Right on, guys. We'll leave it there for today, but I've uh, really enjoyed this one. It was great to, uh, you know, get a bit of a better view into the journey thus far. And, and more importantly, wishing you guys all the best for the year ahead and look forward to continuing to follow the story. Right. Yeah. We had a, I had a great time. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. The Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one marketing solution for the iGaming industry. If you're traveling to ICE, visit the Optimove stand and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card.